G'day and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name's Luke Rolliman, I'm the Aussie Pastor and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful day here in Sydney. Hunty? G'day mate. Welcome to the program. Good to be here. This has been a wonderful last few days really. Yes. You know why? Beautiful weather. Ah, uh, not just the weather. Oh. On Saturday, yes. which is Sabbath, seventh day Sabbath, we can't go to church, eh? That's right. Why can't we go to church? Well, we could, but we don't want to. Well, we can't really. No, not really. Um, we're kind of, we're, we're a church that's trying to wait until everybody can come. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. I think most Adventist churches, perhaps most churches have made that decision that they're going to wait until everybody can come, then they're going to open up their doors. But we did something on Sabbath that we haven't done in many, many weeks and many months. You know what we did? We got together for a picnic. Yes. Now here's the deal. Hunty yeah. was supposed to be at the picnic. And I want to tell you the story as we open our program today. Uh oh. <laughs> Where's the mute button? <laughs> we, 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 I, I had sent out the address of the picnic with the invitations, with the map, with a great big arrow exactly where we are. Now here's Hunty. This is a guy who has travelled, he's trying to ignore me at the moment, but I know he's listening very carefully. He has travelled the world. When we go to the United States, when we go to Europe, I can't lose him. True, Hunty? That's true. And he could not find where we were at the picnic. <laughs> he could not find it. But we love you. You missed out on some beautiful food. Uh, I think we had about... 12 people turn up to our first program after lockdown, and that was a picnic on Sabbath. We sang some songs, uh, just had a really, really beautiful time, and I think we're probably going to do it again this Sabbath. Oh. I think we can probably lose you again, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> two from two. We're glad to have you here, though, uh, listeners, and I hope and pray that God will bless you today with some of the things we're going to look at, good Bible studies, good interviews. We do have some good interviews. We've got a, a couple of favourites today. We've got uh, Simon. And we have Harold. Okay. Um, Hunty, favourites. Yeah, they are favourites. Well, Harold's one of my favourites. Pastor Simon actually is one of our youth leaders. He's one of the very best. Best. I can say that. He's listening to me now. So, and he's got a smile on his face. Smiling. But, but he is a really, really good youth leader. And we're going to ask him some curly questions, Hunty. We we will. Now, we're going to do Ask the Aussie Pastor. It's kind of Of a tradition. Hey, you know what, Hunty? Yep. We've, we've actually got Ask the Aussie Pastor on our television program now, too, haven't we? Yeah, we we do. Yeah. And it's been, um, well received. Well, we only launched it, what, Monday night? That's right. Monday night. Last so, night. Yeah, it was last night, mate. Yeah, I looked this morning. It's already had 4,000 views. Yeah, yeah. So if, mm. if, if you want it now, different, same questions or different questions, Hunty? Uh, different. Different, yeah. Different, different questions. Different questions. Yeah, but a lot yeah. of, we had a lot of fun, didn't we? That's right. And we, and we enjoy Ask the Aussie Pass. Now, yeah. if you, if you want to ask a question, any Bible question, Hunty, can, the, is it too late? I'm going to, no. I say this every no, week, don't I? It's is not it too late? late? It's, it's never it's too never late. It's never too late. You can text us or you can email us. Here's the information you need. Text us on zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one, or email us info at aussiepastor.com. Thank you, Hunty. No worries. Glad you're here, mate. Good to be yeah, here. Yeah, I missed you when you were on holidays. Oh, thanks, bud. And I'm glad you're back. I missed you too. Yeah. Going to be a wonderful program. May God be with us. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. 
news. Amazing news, news, news. Northeast, oh, west, south. I was saying to Hunty, this is, we're going to have two news sections from now. Yep. From now on, we're going to have two news sections. The first one will be just normal news, which yep. is always bad. Yes. But we're going to have a good news section too. Yep. Because I think it's time we start to look at some of the good things that are happening too. Agreed. But some pretty bad news today. Yes. China's hypersonic weapons. Yeah, that's bad. What do they do? Five, six, seven, eight thousand mile an hour? Yeah, up to kilometres an to hour. Twenty thousand kilometres an hour. Oh, that's fast, isn't Very it? Very fast. So twenty thousand Ks to shoot a missile from say China to Australia take how long? Uh, we're only half an hour, forty five minutes away at that speed. You know what worries me about that? What's that? Just down the road is a military base here. Oh no. <laughs> now they tested this hypersonic uh, weapon the other day, and you were telling me it, it wasn't that accurate. It, it, it landed Ed, about... 40 kilometres off target. <laughs> so about 40 k's off target. That'd be close to my farm with a <laughs> studio. <laughs> Either way, we're in trouble. <laughs> what amazes me about this is you've got these weapons. They don't, I don't even think these weapons that they're firing now, missiles, go out into space, or do they? I think these hypersonic ones stay in our they've, they've atmosphere. They've got two types. Ones that go 20,000 kilometres now are actually out of our atmosphere. They're, they're, well, they're your ICBMs, which have been around for years. ICBMs are intercontinental ballistic yeah, missiles. Yeah, they're the ones that they, go... They can be in our atmosphere or out of it. Yeah, but the, but the... Well, ICBMs generally are the ones that carry nukes and they go out yes. of our atmosphere. Yes. But these ones, I think, stay in the nuke. And they carry nukes and they stay in our atmosphere. But they're doing Mach 4, Mach 5, which is six to 8,000 kilometres an hour. Yeah. Just amazing how... How we're getting better and better at killing each other. Oh, you're right. It would be, it would be a great world, wouldn't it, if we were spending this, this sort of money on developing yeah. food yep, programs food, and, well, and water and all these sorts of things that challenge us. Hydrogen. Um, you know, I, I often look at the Chinese who our Western media will build up as a, as the enemies. I've got two sons. Yep. That are pretty much Chinese. Yep. Uh, I've never been to China. You, you have, I haven't have, you? I have a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would love to have gone to China. Would have loved it. Just an amazing country and amazing people. And you think, why would we, or why would they want to fight us? Yeah. It makes no, it makes no sense. Mm. But mm. this is just the world we live in. Men, pride, weapons, power. Yeah. And off they go. Um, signs of the times. Indeed. I didn't want to mention COVID too much on our return, you know. That's we right. went away for three weeks and we thought, we're not going to inundate no. the people. But, but you can't escape it completely. That's right. One of the things I noticed in the news this morning, and I know you read it and saw it as well, I think New South Wales is down to like 200, only two or 300 people today. Yes, yes. So our numbers are plummeting. Yes. And, and I think even down in poor old Victoria, God bless you in Victoria. Mm-hmm. We love you. We understand. We get what you're going through. You do. I think poor old Victoria, Melbourne, what is it? The most locked down yeah, city, city in, in the, the world. world. Such a beautiful yep. city too. Beautiful. Yes. I love it. Every time I go down there, I love Melbourne. I do. Well, I was there great. not so long ago doing a, I was doing a camp meeting. Yep. I think I said, Nana Wadding. Does that sound right? Yep, nice place. Was I at Nana Wadding? You were. I was? Near our church's head office, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't bank on it. That's at that. Ringwood. Yeah, I wouldn't bank on it. That I was somewhere in Melbourne. I'm pretty bad. It's a nice it church to... though, right? Okay. I hope it wasn't Nana Wadding. I've got a feeling it might have been another one. Oh, okay. Oh, maybe it was Nana Wadding. I'm getting old. But I love Melbourne. Beautiful place. Mm, Lockdown. We sympathise with you. But you know what I noticed today? Here's, here's New South Wales, and this place is open. We are wide open. There are just people everywhere. The traffic's back, Hunty. Oh, my goodness. You had to go across back. this morning to visit your doctor. I did. What was the traffic like? 
It was normal almost, yeah. Yeah, everybody, everybody's out. Everybody's back. Everybody's yep. out. And there, yep. there, was, there was a warning came through from the Premier's office that we'd better get ready because COVID numbers are going to... Yep, they're, go about, they're about to burst. They're about to go up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, New South Wales is... Oh, Lizzie just sent me a message. I told you it wasn't none of what. beautiful wife was, is out to correct you, mate. It was Lilydale. I had this awful feeling in my head that I was, I was identifying the wrong place. I was at Lilydale. Beautiful, beautiful Lilydale. Sorry, Melbourne people. I'm a Queensland boy and I'm learning the ways of the South. Um, well, we've got one listener at least, your wife. Yeah. She, <laughs> she's always listening. God, That's right. God bless you, Lizzie. Mine too. I love you. You're the best. Um, so numbers are going to go up. Yes, because we're about to let the COVID zombies out. Uh, just pretend you didn't hear that, listeners. <laughs> the bottom line is that when COVID is let loose, lots and lots of people are going to get sick. That's right. Both That's vaccinated sad. and unvaccinated, mm. unfortunately. And it is a time in the next few weeks, three, four months even, hunty. We just need to be a little bit cautious, look after ourselves, look after our families, be careful when you go out, make sure you're continuing to wash your hands and do all those things yep. that keep you safe. Because yep. this pandemic, this virus is out there, it is dangerous, it impacts all of us. And so I, I just want to mention that because I, I want to encourage our listeners to be careful because we care for you. And this last one, Indeed. To this last news article, Hunty, to the very heart of who you are because oh, you're a, yes. a petrol head. That's petrol, right. petrol. Diesel, diesel too. Yes. Going up, 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 up through the up, roof. Up, up, Man, that hurts. It does. I made the mistake the other day of going out to the farm, the studio, and I didn't fill up. <sighs> have you ever done that? I wouldn't have to do a splash and dash at an expensive place. <sighs> Love the little service station out there. Love yep. the guys in it. Not yep. their fault because they're out there and they've got to deliver. In fact, he told me that um, the fill before this, when he brought a petrol tank out to his service station, it cost him 20 grand. This latest one cost him 28. Wow. But you know what I paid? 28,000, that is. For, yeah, you know, yeah, yep. I paid a dollar 94 a litre. Mm, and I reckon petrol's going to go, keep going up, up, up through the roof. You know what that means, hunting? It means when you and me go out to the studio, mm. we're going in the one car. Carpooling. <laughs> Actually, there is an upside to this, um, this, the price of oil going up. And that is they're making uh, hydrogen very attractive. Yeah, how much can I get a hydrogen car at the moment? They make them. Uh, US California's running hydrogen cars since Schwarzenegger imposed that many, many years ago. How about ago. in Sydney? Well, we can buy hydrogen cars. Can we? I don't think we've got any hydrogen petrol stations, but... Hydrogen petrol stations. <laughs> hydrogen that, stations. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right. That's like an ATM hydrogen machine. filling stations. <laughs> look, you know, you look at this news. Yes. You, look, you look at the weapons we're developing, whether it's China, the United States or Europe. You look at what's going on with COVID. Well, we just can't, vaccinated or unvaccinated, we just can't seem to beat this awful virus. Mm. And then you look at the price of energy just going through the roof. It says to you that the world is in trouble. It's in crisis. Mm. The signs are there that soon Jesus will come. And you know what, hunty? I can't wait. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Hunty, yep. This is your song. I love this song. And I'm going to let you introduce it. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, this is by one of my favourite groups called Mercy Me, and the song is "I Can Only Imagine." I can only imagine 
what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Thanks, Hunty, for that beautiful song. Great song. Left the mute button on then, mate, for the first time today. What do I average about two or three mutes a 
live show. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome um, to our program today to Pastor Simon. You're with us, mate. I'm with you guys. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can. Yeah, mate. Coming in well. Now, our listeners can, can only hear you. I can see you. Are you, are you at home? Yes, I am at home. So yep. you're, you're, you guys are still working at home, from home? S- still working from home. We are. Remind, yep. remind us what your job is again. Yep. So I work as youth director for um, the Seven Day Adventist Church in Greater Sydney. But I mean, it's pretty much a glorified way of saying youth pastor. I'm a youth pastor. Yeah, you are a youth pastor <laughs> of the youth pastors and the youth. How many young people do you look after in Sydney? Yeah, well, actually, I, I actually calculated that the other day. I reckon there's probably close to a couple thousand of them that are um, engaged in our church across Sydney. You know what? I reckon there might be more. I hope there is. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 how many church members in Sydney who call themselves Adventists? So, church members in Sydney is about nine and a half thousand. You'd have and, to uh, reckon that at least a third of them or more would be youth, wouldn't they? Well, yeah. I mean, I, the stats that I looked at were just based on the attendance survey that our church oh, does okay. every year. Yeah. And it, and it showed that we had about a couple of thousand on that attendance survey, but I think we all know that there's more of us out there that might not have been at church on that day or didn't fill in the bit of paper or whatever. So you're probably right. There probably is about three or three or more thousand of them. So how long have you been a pastor? Um, well, this will be my, I think this is my seventh or eighth year. Um, and then I also, I, before I went to um, college, I worked as a school chaplain and a Bible worker for a couple of years. So, yeah, I've been doing, I guess, church work for, for a little while. How long have you been working with young people? Um, I think five years now, pretty sure, about okay. five years. Okay, but before you entered church work, though, were you, uh, and I, when I say church work, officially as a, a pastor, were you still at times working with young people in your local church? Yes, yes I was. Yep. You're, you're a North Queenslander, aren't you? Yeah, that's correct. Whereabouts? Yep. So I grew up in the Atherton Tablelands. Uh, uh, I like it up there. It's nice, huh? it's green. It's green and it's actually quite cool. Yes, very cool. So you go to northern, Queen, <laughs> you go to North Queensland, and it's really, really hot. A lot of humidity. Get up onto those tablelands; it's beautiful. Hey, does it ever snow up there? It doesn't snow, but it does frost. So where I grew up on the farm, yep. winter's morning is not uncommon that you wake up and there's just ice everywhere on everything. So it is cold up there. People think it's hot, but it is cold in the in the mountains. Yeah, and, and as you said, it rains a lot, and a lot of dairy cows and all that sort of stuff. A lot of it's actually yeah. remind me a lot of New Zealand up there. It's that beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I've got some curly questions for you. Hit me. <laughs> okay, I'm ready to hit. <laughs> this is from the perspective of a young person, and I talk of a young person, I'm really talking 25 or even younger. Yeah. Uh, and, and perhaps we who are parents. I'm a parent of a 15-year-old, of a 19-year-old, 22 and 23. So th- these are the sorts of questions they're asking. And I get hit, bombarded as a pastor of these questions all the time. See how you go. Young person says, why do I find the Bible so boring? Mm. Yeah, look, that's a good question. And I suppose I'd probably throw a question back to that young person if they asked me that when and one, and I'd ask them what they're doing with their time, day-to-day, spare time, etc. because... I sort of think of all the things that are out there these days. We think of Instagram, we think of TikTok, we think of Netflix, we think of Stan, we think of Prime. There's a million different options for us to kind of engage in stuff that, that's all about kind of entertainment and, and stimulation, if you like. And then we come back to reading a book. And I would imagine that even if you go from that stuff to reading a book that's not the Bible, you're probably going to find a regular old book boring. 
But then you read a book that perhaps has a context that's a couple of thousand years old and you might kind of go, oh, I don't know if I could be bothered with that or if I'd rather just kind of jump on to something different like TikTok because it's, it's like exciting and there's a lot happening and that sort of thing. So, you know, in my own experience, I found that uh, when I first started to read the Bible, I'd read for about five or ten minutes a day and I was a 20-year-old then, a 21-year-old yeah. then. But I just found that as I did that, it started to come to life for me and I started to experience what it could do in my life the way as God moved through the scriptures and spoke into my heart. And um, and then it just started to come to life for me, and I no longer found it boring. So um, you're a pretty young fellow. You've been brought up in the age of internet and all the rest of it. Um, mobile phones, I think they've all probably all pretty much always been in your experience. Um how long did it take you to, when you first started reading the Bible, for it to actually engage with your heart? I reckon it took me a couple of weeks okay. of commitment to to making sure that I read it at least about ten minutes a day. Yep, and I think it started to grip me. Um, but I would say that it really gripped me within a month. Yep. And then it really grips me within a couple of months. Once and, it gets and, a hold of you, it's got a hold, eh? Oh, that's the thing. I'd come home from work and I'd sit there and read the book of Job from 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 um, start to finish in a night, and then yeah, I'd yeah. go to work the next day, you know, because I just got it just got me. So TikTok kind of receded into the background a bit. And are you on TikTok? No, I, I, I'm not on TikTok. I probably should get on there so I can tr- show a few good videos, but I'm not in there. <laughs> I don't even know what TikTok is. Um, so, so is there anything? I, so, if I'm young, so I'm 16 years old, and I come to you, is there anything I can do um, to make the Bible interesting right from the start, or is it just hold on and it'll come to you? Well, I think there's probably a couple of things. First one would be think about what else are you doing with your time. You know, like. Um, I would say if you're spending a lot of time on things like gaming or things like Netflix or things like, um, yeah, just social media and stuff, I'd say try and reduce that a little bit. Try and reduce that down a little bit and and do some other things with your spare time like get out in nature or go for a walk or go and play some sports or something like that. And that way you're just not always going to be looking for this full-on stimulation. Does, um, does, gaming, and, does gaming and Netflix and all that stuff, movies, games, whatever, does that – interfere with the ability of the Bible through the Holy Spirit to grab a hold of your heart? I, I think that if you're spending a lot of time in those spaces and yeah. also if you're engaging in content that's it's not really uplifting to you, yeah, I, I believe it does. You know, like the Scriptures talk of this, I think, in Philippians 4, where it tells it to concentrate on things that are, that are praiseworthy and uplifting and that sort of thing. And I just think if you if, if we're spending a lot of time in stuff that's not in that realm, then, of course, that's got to somehow interrupt our connection with, with God and with what's good. So, okay. yeah, I, I think so. So if you're really genuinely interested in God and you want to get into the Bible, maybe you do need to look at what else you're doing in your life. This next one's kind of related to what we've been talking about. Why is church so boring? Yeah, that's a good question. Why is church boring? You know, as I think of that question, I wonder what sort of approach we take to church sometimes. You know, I'll give you an example. Recently, I've just moved out here to Windsor, so I'm actually only six minutes from, from your church. We'll um, be looking for, hey, I, I, I keep saying we're going to be looking for you at church, but the reality is you're, you're pretty much at a different church every Sabbath. So we'll be lo- lo- With my job, yes, I am. We'll be lucky yeah. to see you, but anyway, go on. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, what, what I've had to start doing since I come out here is I'm, I'm trying to find a new gym and now they're letting us go back to gyms and stuff. And so, and, and, and so what I've done is, um, I've just gone and signed up to one that's about six minutes from my house. Now, the truth of it is there's a million of them around here and I could have gone searching, but what I decided to do was to go into just, just pick one that was close to my house and, um, approach it with the idea that, well, look, even if the group there is not that friendly or whatever, I'm going to be the friendly one and I'm going to step out and see if I can make a friend and and connect with somebody. And I think sometimes when it comes to church, we bring like a consumer mentality. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're kind of like, well, is the music good for me? Do I like the preacher? Did I like the person over there, et cetera? But what if we flipped that and we said, well, I'm going to go to church today and I'm going to serve. And so if nobody talks to me, I'm going to go and find somebody and talk to them or I'm going to see if I can get involved in the youth group or in the Pathfinder group or in the Adventurers Ministry or, or with Hunty and the guys on the tech team or, or maybe just in the greeting team and meet somebody out in the car park. And I think if I think if anybody takes that approach to church, that it's actually a place that um, we not just go there to connect with others yeah, and consume, yeah. but we go there to give. Yep. You're going to find it a lot less boring. Especially, especially young people. If young people did that, they would turn their churches upside down. They and, would. And very, very quickly. Um, kind of related again, why is the, <laughs> I'm a pastor. Why is the pastor's sermon so boring? Sometimes pastor's sermons are boring, by the way. <laughs> Come on. Can I hear an amen to that? Hear an amen from me. <laughs> Come on, Simon, Pastor Simon. Sometimes we can do a boring service, but I think this is more a general question. Why are us, why are pastor sermons so boring? Maybe you've yeah. already answered that uh, with, yeah, with I, our minds. and I think to a degree I haven't. And it's true, you know, um, as, as a pastor, when you go through pastor school, you get taught how to do decent sermons and deliver them well so that you're actually engaging to the people and you don't put them asleep and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's definitely true, but it's as one, one um, person once said, and I remember this, it doesn't matter how bad the sermon is, if you go there looking for what God is trying to speak through that sermon, you'll find it. And I... And I'm not saying that to um, just say, all right, that's great. Let's just all preach boring sermons because I don't think we want to do that as a church to bore our to bore our people to, to death sort of thing. But uh, I guess it, it does come back to, well, hey, what are we looking for when we go to church? Um, what are we looking for in the message? And at the same time, what else are we filling our heads with through the week that's going to make that experience kind of seem a bit lame as compared to something that's a decent experience? So... Yeah, I would say, you know, if, you, if you're a young person, when you rock up to church, if you ask, if you say, say a prayer to God and ask him to speak to you, even if the speaker isn't exactly engaging, I believe God will speak a message to you for the day. So It can be quite a discipline, though, can't it, to have to sit that, there and try and that, find a message that's not easy. <laughs> that, is a, that is indeed a discipline. That is indeed a discipline. But, I, know, um, I know it might surprise you, but now and again I go up to Avondale to talk to the pastors about preaching. You know the one thing I reckon? When it comes to preachers, for all of us, if you're a preacher and you're listening to this, hear this, see what you think. I very rarely ever meet a person to talk to them one-on-one who's boring. And if you get up the front, full of the Holy Spirit, and you speak to people from your heart, you won't be boring. Mm. I saw a bloke once who was the worst elocutionist. Does that make sense what I'm saying? This guy could not speak really for nuts. And yet he loved the Lord Jesus Christ Holy Spirit was 
inside of him. He came from America. He did a whole series for us when I was at Warunga Church. I'm telling you, he's died since. Monotone. Um, if you, yeah, drab. You know the guy I'm talking. Don't you say his name, Hunter? No, I, I was just thinking uh, of a monotone drone. It'll be the end of us on radio. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I watched my church full of people, three, four, five hundred people there. They sat transfixed by his message because he was being himself, which was he was drab, monotone, and like that, wasn't he, Hunter? You talk to him, but some people like their information without emotion. It's what they like. Yeah. Mm. But the whole church was blessed because yes. the Holy Spirit was there and they were looking for a blessing. Totally blessed. I think you're on the money there with what you're saying. doesn't matter who's preaching. doesn't matter what you know, how good an elocutionist they are. If you go there young or old and you're on fire for Christ and you want to get a message, you'll get it, and you'll get yeah. it very powerfully. A um, couple of more questions here. Hunty's given me a bit of a, a roll-up here, so I better. <laughs> yep. we got, you know I'm going to get you back, don't you, Pastor Simon? <laughs> yeah, please. Because we, we never get good. through it. Maybe it's because I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, can I bring a friend to church, again, from the perspective of a young person, if I think my church is boring? Yeah, you know, with that question, I think sometimes we undersell what's what's what our churches can bring to a person's life. And people, you know, would say to me, especially when I was pastoring at a local church and stuff, sometimes people would say to me, oh, you know, pastor, I'm just not sure if we can bring people to church because they might find us a bit strange or because the way we do things and we sing songs about Jesus and, and all of that kind of stuff. But I think people don't realize sometimes that People aren't exactly looking, this is my firm belief, I don't think people when it comes to church are exactly looking for the fandangle show. Yeah, yeah. The lights and the bazaars and it's all perfect and everything is smooth and production-like, etc. I think they're actually looking for a community where they can belong and a message of hope that gives them purpose and meaning in their life. And so I'll just say to a young person, just be that message of hope the way that you live. You know, if you're with your friends throughout the week, live Jesus in your life. They'll see it, and they'll they'll say, "Hey, I really like what they've got." And then, and then when you invite them to church, it doesn't matter so much if it's all perfect, etc. But if if they can see that in you, and you introduce them to to a group of friends or whatever at church, and they can see it in those people, I think that's actually what's going to matter most to those people. And so, when people say to me, "You know, I don't want to invite my friends to church for this and that." I'm not sure I buy that. I'm okay. actually pretty comfortable inviting people to most of the churches that we have. Um, yeah. Most most Adventist churches I've ever been to, I've been comfortable inviting I, someone I like that. to that church. I like that. In fact, if your youth group's on fire, even if the pastor, Pastor Lloyd, did <laughs> preach a, uh, a sermon that was down a bit, wouldn't matter because they're getting swamped by kids who know how to love and are giving them something they can't get anywhere else. Exactly. Hey, two other quick questions, and we're very fast. Have the values and rules of my church become irrelevant in a modern world? I think it depends on how you look at that 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 question. You know, I think there's no doubt that sometimes in church life we uphold traditions or or, or things that are human made or man made, so to speak. You know, I, I can think of a story when I first came back to church. I remember I got in trouble from a lady once for speaking loudly in church, and I don't think I was even speaking that loudly. I was just talking to a couple of other young people and. You know, this was me and my brother. We'd probably been to the nightclubs the night before or we were planning to go that night and she was kind of worried about us talking in the in the main area of church. I don't think that was on God's mind that day with yeah. us. I think he was more like, hey, this is awesome. These guys came to church today kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so I don't think I can hide the idea that sometimes 
people get stuck on human traditions, but I think if we're to look at the the biblical teachings of our church and the values that we hold that that God has given us, um, they're the most relevant thing on the planet right now because we we live in a world that's divided. We live in a world that doesn't have hope. We live in a world that's got – I mean, we just talked about weapons a minute ago. I was listening in. That can – it's insane the world that we live in right now. I think our world needs Jesus and they need a message of hope, and we have that as a church, and that's what we're about. So, Never been more relevant. No, we couldn't be more relevant. That's right. Last question. You ready? Ready. This is from the perspective of a parent, which you haven't become yet, but I hear that your day will be coming sooner or later. Not that I'm we'll- announcing a pregnancy <laughs> there. <laughs> Just I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you guys know when it happens, all right? I'll let you know. <laughs> good, good comeback. Um, from the perspective of a parent, and I know a lot of parents do listen to us, probably a lot more parents than young people, what can I do to keep my kids coming to church when they find it irrelevant? I think as, as the best thing that any parent could do is to live their faith in Jesus because, and I've... I guess I apply this in a in a big picture way. Um, you know, we talk about youth retention and that kind of thing in in the church space and how how we lose young people out of our churches and stuff like that. But I don't believe we'll lose anywhere near as many young people if the young people can see that we believe what we're doing. We we believe in God and we're living it like we're actually committed to this cause of the gospel and we give anything for it and we actually would give anything for Jesus in our lives. Now, I just think, you know, for, for parents, if, if, if a kid can see that in you, yeah, that's going to make, that's that's gonna make the whole idea of church a lot more attractive because yeah. it no longer becomes about church, so to speak, but it becomes yeah. about God. And I'm not a parent, but I would nearly guess that that's the biggest thing that kids need oh, sure. is they need, a, they need an example. You know what? Um, I follow Jesus and I'm not, anywhere near perfect, sinless, and have a long way to go. Um, not all my children follow the Lord Jesus, but they often say to Liska and to me how grateful they are that we do. They see things in our lives that they want, even if they're not grabbing hold of them right now, and I think you're right on the money there, Simon, Pastor Simon. Hey, I, I want to ask you more questions, but we're running out of time. I love talking to you, mate. Thanks, mate. You are- I, I, I enjoy this too. I look forward to our um, radio catch-ups. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have some in-person catch-ups too, so that's good. Uh, I better start attending some more ministers' meetings for that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> God. I'm, making no, I'm making no comment there, mate. <laughs> God bless you, mate, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. God bless. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Ah, uh, like that guy. Yeah, top bloke. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, yes. Now, Hunty, I'm looking at our program. Yes. I've seen that. Uh, I, I got no idea what's coming okay, up. Okay, let me it's, let me give one more it's plug for us, Aussie Pastor. Too far away for me to see. <laughs> and um, <laughs> let me one more plug for us, Aussie Pastor. Yep. Then we have a great song by Andre Bocelli. I got it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So if you want to text us or email us, you can zero four double eight double eight zero eight five one, or you can email us. The email address is info at aussiepastor dot com, and we would love to get your questions. And there's still plenty of time. 
So, yes, question away. Any question you like that's about the Bible or about God. About anything. About anything, you can ask Pastor Lloyd and he will give it a crack. I'll give it a crack and if I can't answer it, I'll ask for some time and come back next week. Hey, Auntie, yes. before we play the song, okay. the prayer, Yes, Andre Bocelli. Great I love to ask you these questions because you are, no one is into music more than you. Yes. I know of no one that's been to more concerts <laughs> and no, not just I, been to concerts as, as a, as a guest, uh, you, as a participant. You go there a lot of the time and do the sound. Now, Andre Bocelli, have you ever, is it Bocelli? Tell yes. Us. I got to hear Andre Bocelli in, in Puccini's birthplace in, um, I think it's in Italy. And I got to hear him sing this song live. It's one of the highlights of my life. We better listen to it then. Okay. It's entitled The Prayer. So we'll be safe. 
concert when you turned up. Uh, I think you said you're, goosebumps. <laughs> you're on a boat cruise and you came into some harbour in Italy yep, there. Yep. Went for a walk around in yep. town and here's these and big signs. Yep. Andre Bocelli. You know he's blind, don't you? Yeah, did I land on my feet or what? Yeah, well, you always do when it comes to concerts. Oh, my goodness. I remember we were in Las Vegas once. doing, doing oh, the, not this We story. were doing the Lord's work <laughs> we, too. We were in Las and Vegas, And you picked yes. up two or three really good concerts there. I good did. guys. But I did. Anyway, look, ask the Aussie pastor. What do we got, Hunter? We got okay. any questions? We do have some questions. Looking We've got quite a few that I've, I've curated them for you. So I'll have to rip through them pretty okay. quick. I've got, got a few minutes. Here we go. Yep. So question one, does your religious experience prove there is a God? Oh, yeah, to me it does. <laughs> How's that for a quick, fast, instant answer? You could be the greatest scientist in the world with the most evidence ever of evolution, okay? Yep. You can come to me. I'm never going to buy that from you. No matter how conclusive your evidence is, and you might be saying as you listen to uh, uh, the Aussie pastor Lloyd Grollam on the radio, well, he's a narrow, bigoted, closed-minded fellow. Well, yes, I am, and the reason I am is because I have met God. Amen. I have been in His presence. I have experienced Him for myself, and I would go as far as to say that until you experience God for yourself, like I'm talking about. How do I do that? Mm. Bible study yep. in the morning. I have the most powerful experiences. I've learned to go to bed early, Hunty. Yep. If 10, 10.30 is early. That is early for me, isn't it? It's good. Yeah. Mm. And you know what that means? After seven hours, I'm up at 5, 5.30. Yep. That is a wonderful time of the morning to get into the Bible. And it, when I, every time I choose to go to the Bible, I have this deep and intimate and very powerful experience with God. So yes, I experience Him. When I'm in my, on my knees in prayer, I experience Him. When I'm looking for Him to guide and direct me in my life and He comes down and He does it, takes me by the hand and shows me. And you've watched this even in my life, Hunty, from time to time. Just recently I had to make a big decision. That's right. God's in it. Yep. So yes, to me, what was the question again? The question is, does your religious experience prove there is a God? Yes. Undoubtedly, yes, and I know that's going to leave some people uncomfortable, but that's my experience. Mm, very good. Mine too, actually. Okay, question two. Is the Bible, oh dear, is the Bible for or against women clergy? Oh. It's quite a hot topic in the Adventist church at the moment. That's a hot topic in many churches. It's a hot topic in the Baptist church, mate. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a hot topic in the Southern Baptist. It's, it's right on full on in the United States at the moment. Um Look, my short answer to this is I'll say two things. The model we have of ministry today is not really found in the Bible. It's a modern idea of mm-hmm. a pastor mm-hmm. coming into a church and 
caring for it as we do. If you have a look at Paul and all the other apostles, their main job was to take the message of Jesus to the world, and that's what they did. So the church was run by elders. Um, What's an elder? An elder is like an overseer of the church. Like male or female? Um, back in the days of the apostles, pretty much always male. Are they a holy person or a normal person? They're a normal person, okay. but they're good questions. They're a normal person, yeah. but they're also a mature Christian who's gone way down the, the line. Yeah. Look, here's my short answer on that, and I'm not trying to squib this answer. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you from my heart. If God calls you to a job, male or female, then it's God who calls you, not me. And if you're called to be a pastor, if you're called to ministry, if you're called to be an evangelist, if you're called to be a teacher, if you're called to be a techie like Hunty is, and you were called to this job, Hunty, mm. then you better do it. So there's my answer. If you're called by... So, so to me, when it comes to questions like it's not a matter of whether you're male or female, who you are. The question is, are you called? And ministry is a calling. If you're called, go and do it. If you're not, well, then you'd be wasting your time. I know where I sit on this. Mm. Mm. Alrighty, shall we go to question three? Yeah, did you notice I didn't ask you to expand on that when you said, <laughs> I, know. I wanted to. I know you did. <laughs> I, I Thanks for leaving me blowing in the breeze. <laughs> <laughs> let's go to question I'm three. I'm going to say it now, I'm very much let's, for it. Let's go question okay. three. I know question you had to three. get that in, didn't you? <laughs> yep. Okay, what is, the biblical, what is the biblical view about euthanasia? That's a hard one. It's a very hard one because I know what God says. How would you killing. define euthanasia? Uh, for me personally, euthanasia is when you humanely take someone from their suffering by ending their life, and it's their choice. Maybe not. Maybe not. I watched my mum die of cancer in excruciating pain, and I don't think she was in any fit state of mind to make her choice. Well, that she died, of course, before euthanasia. Um, Look, before they discuss life is a, life is a very sacred thing. Mm. Um, I understand because I've watched people die in terrible agony. Really, mm. yeah. and it's not a sweet, pretty, nice thing. It's it's awful. In fact, sometimes the way some people die is cruel. Now the question um, is very specific: is what does the Bible say about it? Yeah, the Bible pretty much says, "Thou shalt not kill." And it is pretty much... Well, I think of stories that, where that Jesus... Is, that, that includes kill yourself. I, I think of stories where the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus one Sabbath morning on the way to church because they walked him past a donkey in a hole. And they said to him, is it legal to end this animal's suffering by pulling him out of the hole on Sabbath? Because they knew they'd get him either way. They'd get him for leaving the animal in the hole suffering or they'd get him for working on the Sabbath. So and tried the, to trap and, him and, up. And the euthanasia. Well, I'm thinking if someone's dying in hospital of cancer and they're in great agony and pain, are we doing a good thing or a bad thing? Or are we doing something against God's will? When you give your heart to Jesus Christ and you put your life in his hands, you truly do that, do that. Your life is in his hands. And so me personally, I'm not scared of death. I have... Some cautions in my life when it comes to how I'll die because I've seen people die so badly. But I'm prepared. This is me personally. And I believe this is what the Bible preaches and teaches. I'm prepared to put my life in Jesus' hands. Yep. And for Him to take me when He's ready. And I'm not going to, in any way or sense, advance that. Mm, that's, that that's beautiful. That beautiful way to think. Yeah. Mm. Next one. Do our pets go to heaven? 
I hope so, but there's absolutely no biblical evidence that they do. Either way or no biblical evidence no at all? No biblical evidence at all that yeah. our pets go to heaven. In fact, if I had to lean every, one way or the other, and this is going to upset a whole lot of people listening today, I'd probably say no, but here's the deal. I just lost two years ago a beautiful dog called Lucky mm. who went mm. with me. Um, my wife, for my birthday just a few weeks ago, got a picture painted of Lucky. One of our church members did it. And when I unlocked the picture, I was so overcome with emotion, I, I had a little cry, and I never do that um, because I miss her so much. Well, she was your partner through some pretty dark times. My wife or the dog? <laughs> um, I was thinking of Lucky the dog. Oh, okay. Um, the dog, yeah, she was. And she went, she went through some very dark times with me. But when we get to heaven, uh, you know, you can call this glib and shallow and all the rest of it. But if I remember, which I think I will, I will go to the Lord and I will ask him for her again because he created her in the first place. Is that sort of fantasy stuff? Well, it has no bearing in scripture. Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm ch- a chief, he came to save people, not dogs, not animals. But will we see them again in heaven? A lot of people are going to say we do, but there's just no biblical evidence for that. I'm sorry yeah. to give you that information, oh. but you can ask Jesus anything when you get there. I was hopeful. Um, this next question's quite out there. Does the Bible say anything about dinosaurs? No. Were there any in the ark? I don't know. There's pretty big evidence that they've been around and they've become extinct. They're not the first animal to become extinct on this planet. In fact, animals every week are becoming extinct. Yeah, true. It's just that they were big. Maybe, um, they, were, maybe they were taken on the ark in eggs and <laughs> hatched after. Uh, look, I don't know. Don't know. Uh, I just know there's evidence of dinosaurs in the past. I don't think there's any reason for Christians to deny the 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 presence of dinosaurs, I would argue against a long-age Earth. I think the Earth is only, biblically says, about 6,000 years old, and I'd go for that, but I don't make it a test of fellowship in the church, but I believe in a God who created the Earth in six days and rested on the Sabbath, and did he make dinosaurs? Why not? Well, they found lots of skeletons. They have. Yeah. Yeah. All right, this next question is a ripper. Yeah. What does the Bible say about gambling? Nothing. Oh, really? No. Nothing. Oh, my goodness. I thought this would be a great discussion. Yeah, sorry to disappoint you there. But there, there are principles in the Bible about, you know, the love of money and wasting your money and using wisdom. So? And so I think if you were to use the principles, you're not going to be a gambler. So this next $40 million lottery coming up, if I went out and bought a ticket, I wouldn't necessarily be doing anything wrong? Uh, you'd be wasting your money. <laughs> of course, well, other than that. <laughs> uh, and, and I think, you know, in a world where money's hard to come by, um, God expects us to use our wisdom. And the other side of gambling is that it's quite addictive. That's true. And, you know, the Bible does talk about addictions and how to overcome addictions and the danger of addictions. Yep. And it's a very destructive addiction, even recognised by the world as being a, a dangerous, destructive addiction. So, you know, <clears throat> if you've got a problem with gambling, get help because it's not what, where God wants you to be. Right, well, that's the end of our uh, question and answer that segment. That Yep. No more. No more. Really? really? How many did we have today? Uh, well, these are the ones I pulled out just as oh, we were okay. starting. Well, that, yeah. it flew by. And Very I enjoyed good. them. So be, before you hit the, the button there, yep. Hunty, yep. If, if they want to ask questions, is it too late? No, we'd love to hear from you because we love your questions. And you can text them to us on 0488 or you can email them to us in the addresses info at aussiepasta.com. And we'll take them and we'll answer them yep, next we'll week. we'll take them for next week, yeah. Cheers. 
You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Ah, Hunty, this is a good singer, this one. Oh, yeah. Barbara Streisand. Yep. How much do you know about her? Not much. Have you ever been to see her? Yes. <laughs> How did, where did you see her? <laughs> Madison Square Gardens. Oh, dear. <laughs> You've got to understand, Hunty, everywhere we go in the world, so if we're going on a filming trip, he's looking, because we don't work at night a lot of the time, he's looking for concerts. Ah, oh, you didn't find too many in Israel or Jordan, did you? Not a one. You were looking, though. <laughs> of course. <laughs> this is a beautiful song by Barbara Streisand, um, Higher Ground. I think you're going to enjoy it. Walk me over this horizon Let the sun's light warm my face Once again, the times are changing Once again, I lost my way While the words of ancient poets Fall like dust upon my shoes Greed has robbed me of my vision Turned my heart from higher truths So Yeah, 
That's Barbara Streisand with the beautiful rendition of Higher Ground. Mm. Harold Harker. Ah, he's on mute. You have to unmute for us, Pastor. Yep. Let me see. Welcome to live welcome, radio. Welcome to the most said phrase in the English language. Unmute. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Let me have a great get There we go. That's got it. How are you? Hang on, try and hear. You there? Yes. Lovely. Gotcha. It's always a bit of a bit of a worry at the start, isn't it, when we can't hear you? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's good to be with you again, let me tell you. How are you going up there in lockdown? Oh, just about out of it now. We can move around a little bit. I think the only place you can't come to is Sydney, isn't it? Like That's, that's right. Basically anywhere else in New South Wales and you're allowed to go. That's it. Yeah. Now, the guy we're going to talk about today, John Frith, this is a beauty. Oh, well, John Frith is an absolute fantastic guy. He stood for what he believed in, even if he had to die for it. He was a great guy. Actually, I'd never heard of him until you showed me his story. <laughs> uh, he was a great intellectual guy, but he stood for Christ and the scriptures and everything else with it. There really is thousands and thousands of stories of these men and women through the Protestant Reformation, isn't there? Um, Just imagine all the stories we're going to listen to in heaven. Yeah, I often hope that maybe on a Sabbath afternoon we can all sit around and Jesus brings them up the front and takes us through their story. It'd be quite, I suppose that's my imagination, but it'd be quite inspiring, wouldn't it, to listen to them? It would be inspiring, yes. Yeah, let's find a a little bit about John Frith. Um, When was he born, where was he born, and to whom was he born? Well, he was born in 1503, just at the start of the 16th century, in a little village called Westerham. It was in Kent. It's just south southeast of the Greater London area. And his father, uh, Richard Frith, he was the innkeeper of the local inn, the White Horse Inn. So was he well educated? Oh, yes. As a young fellow, he went to the Seven Oaks Grammar School and then he went to Eton College. And a lot of the princes of, of the England kings have gone to Eton College. And then he went to Cambridge to Queen's College, so he was exceptionally well educated. I guess if, if, if we look at his education, it, it would be fair to say that he came from a fairly well-to-do family or he wouldn't have received such a good education. Is that probably a fair comment? That's a fair comment, yes. Okay. What was his speciality at university? Well, you wouldn't believe it. When he was at university, he was exceptionally proficient in Latin, in Greek, but listen to this, and in mathematics. Actually, those three often don't go together. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I noticed that in my own life. I could do English at school, <laughs> but, man, when it comes to math, I was a disaster. <laughs> I was no John Frith, that's for sure. Uh, um, what and who influenced John Frith as a young man? Well, when he was at Cambridge... There was a guy, we've talked about Thomas Bilney before. He influenced so many to become Christians. And this guy, they used to have a meeting at the White Horse Inn in Cambridge and they would study Luther's writings and the, and the Testaments in their original Greek. And Thomas Bilney was a great person who influenced John Frith. There'll be a lot of people in the kingdom and uh, as a direct result of, of that man's ministry. And at the time, Martin Luther's works were red hot, weren't they? They were going across Europe like an out-of-control 
um, bushfire. So when he graduates, he's, he's got these specialities. What did he become? Well, he graduated in 1525, so he would have been 22 years of age, and he was ordained a priest. And then he was called to be the junior canon at Thomas Wolsey's Cardinal College in Oxford. So when you say a priest, not an Anglican priest, he was ordained, this is a little bit before the Anglican Church, he was ordained a Catholic priest. That's true, yes. Okay, fair enough. Um, what dangers did he face? Because he graduates, he becomes a priest, you'd think that he was in a pretty safe place, but he had been, in some sense, dallying with fire because he had been into the works of Luther. He'd been sitting around in a Bible study group. The Protestant Reformation was getting uh, a light in the young heart of this young Englishman. Did he face any dangers as a priest? Did he expose himself uh, to these dangers theologically in any way? Well, yes, because he had some of those books and he kept these books in his home. And when you possess heretical books, then you are a heretic. And he was caught with them, and then he was imprisoned. Guess where they put him? They put him in a cellar where fish had been kept, so it would stink. And there were nine others there, and the conditions were so terrible. Imagine being there with the stink of dead fish for six months, and four of the group actually died there. So it was really, this was really tough for him. It was. Very tough. Well, he gets released. Does he hang around or what does he do? No, because he's uh, already thought of as a heretic. He says, I'm clearing out. And he went over the channel and went to the continent. Do we know, Harold, whether when he clears out, was he still counted as a priest or had he been thrown out of the priesthood? Do we know that? At this no, stage? He, he wasn't thrown out at that stage. He just, person missing, MIA, missing action. Okay, so he just took off. Um, so when he gets to Europe, what does he do? Who does he work with? Well, he goes to Antwerp, and there he meets Tyndale. And Tyndale is working on the New Testament in English. I never knew this either. I never knew it, and I find it amazing. And John Frith helps him with that because he knew the Greek. You wouldn't believe it, would you? Two Englishmen in Europe advancing the cause of God. You, you can't stop good men filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he, he got a special interest, a special theological interest over there. What was he studying and what did he actually believe? Well, as he studied the scriptures, he came up with ideas of uh, purgatory, which he didn't find in the Bible. And he really translated... Uh, Tyndale shared with him the news of Patrick Hamilton of Scotland and here Frith translated Patrick's places. It was the first explanation of Reformation doctrine that was ever published in the English language. And it went to war against purgatory as being that, taught in Catholicism. At Catholicism and purgatory, yes. And he, he, he really took on the Bible idea concept of, of what happens after you die. Well, he, he's in Europe. Eventually he decides to go back to England. I'm, I'm very interested when he goes back, he, he goes back disguised. Uh, what happens? Well, here is a wanted guy. Yeah. So when he goes back, he decides to go as a pauper and he dressed like someone who's nothing. And he, he sneaks back into England that way. Did they arrest him? Did they catch him? 
Well, they did catch him again, yes. What'd they do to him? Where do you put people that are <laughs> wanted? They put him in prison in the tower this time. Was he there for long? Yeah. He, he was there for quite a while. And uh, when he was there, he uh, really, uh, let me just tell you this one, he was um, there and people like Thomas Cranmer, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, and Thomas Cromwell, they arranged to put him in the tower. Do you know why? You think the tower would be the worst, but he, they took him out of the jurisdiction of the Bishop of London, he would have killed him straight away. They were actually trying to help him. They were. Even though they were Catholics, their heart was soft to this young man, and he was yeah. a young man, and they dragged him out of a place which was basically death itself, put him in the Tower of London, which you'd think would be a disaster, but actually was a move up for him. Well, he uses the time there. He was a writer. This well-educated guy who knew Latin and Greek, yep. he used it to write and he would write defence of religious liberty of thought. And then he really puts his finger in the hot spot and he says that transubstantiation, which is the cardinal doctrine of the Catholic Church, that the, the wafer becomes the actual body of Christ, he said no, it's, he denied the real presence of Christ in the body and the blood of Christ in this Eucharist. That was anathema to him. Actually, I, I find this incredible because this is a young man and he's basically declaring war on the state church. That's and correct. he does not take a backward step, does he? He hits it with all he's got. Now, he, he does have friends in the Church of Rome, in, in the Catholic Church. Do they in any way try to win Frith back? Because he's a brilliant young man. Well, the Bishop of Winchester, now the bishops, they're in the top lot. And he tried to treat him firmly and tried to win him back. And even Tyndale, he said, look, John, just stop your writing. You're getting into trouble with your writing, so stop your writing. But he didn't stop. No. I he like that a, about him. He wrote a second book against the Eucharist, and he totally denied transubstantiation. You know, he was there for six months. So right. he's in the Tower of London. He's, yeah. Even his friend Tyndall, the great Bible translator, says, hey, take a backward step, mate. You're yeah. getting yourself into trouble. But rather than that, in the Tower of London, he writes another book. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of other tracts that he sends out. It was like a little printing press he was working on. <laughs> it's quite amazing, really. Now, now, now all, remember all the time our listeners need to understand, this is a man in his 20s. Yeah. This is a young man with life before him, everything to live for. Now, now Cranmer, who I, I tend to sense was a pretty good guy, Yes, he, he, he actually tried to, to give Frith a means of escape. Tell us about that. Well, he called to Frith and said, look, I come up to my home in Croydon and he knew that on the way there wouldn't be many police around or soldiers or whatnot and he'd have a chance to clear out and get away. And he says, no, fancy that. If they want to interrogate me, I'll tell them what it is. Actually, he, he was up for the fight. He was. It was as simple as that. This bloke was <laughs> up for the fight. He wasn't going to run away anymore. He's got youth in him, but he's also got the Holy Spirit, and he is, ma I mean, in some sense, he's shaking England. 
Right. It, it, it's quite amazing. So he, he stays in jail. Was he ever offered a pardon? Yeah. He said, uh, this pardon, you just answer two questions. Do you believe in purgatory and do you believe in transubstantiation? And he said, neither can be proved by the Holy Scriptures, so I don't believe in them. Oh, I can't believe the bravery of these guys. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So he was sentenced to death on June 23, 1533. Uh, so he's just 30 years of age. Just 30 years. Who tried to encourage him to recant? Anybody? Yes. While he was there, he was uh, in there and he had um, people, his, his friends said, well, look, Gardner sent some messages to persuade him and Hewitt tried to get him to recant but no, he stands by the Bible and what he believes. These are these are church leaders who are friends of his. Yes. Um, so he dies. How did he die? And, well, who, and who did he die with? Well, there was a guy called Andrew Hewitt. He was a tailor, and he had been asked Frith to write on the Lord's Supper, which he'd done many times, but the two of them are then condemned to death and they're taken to Smithfield, a place where so many were martyred. And these two are tied back to back, and the fire is put around them. And 13, just, he was in 1533. It's, it's so sad, but it's glorious in some it sense. Is. So two friends who were committed to sharing Christ, who would rather die than give him up. Died Correct. together back to back. Would there have been a crowd watching this? Oh, yes. It was always a crowd, and they hoped that it would be uh, a lesson to others that they wouldn't take this, but it often brought more people into Christianity. It's true that not long after this, after his execution, his death, Henry launched the Protestant Reformation in England. Yes. Is that true? That's right. Do you think Frith... Uh, and this is a question out of left field, but do you think that Frith had anything to do with ploughing the ground for that Protestant Reformation that took off so richly under King Henry? Well, in this time, the Protestant Reformation did take in. You've got Tyndale, you've got the other guys, the guy from Lutterworth, and uh, there are just so many. One builds on the other, and the message just keeps getting bigger and bigger as it goes. It would have amazed Frith if he'd ever been resurrected to see in just a short few years how much England changed and how much they actually adopted his writings and his beliefs. It was unbelievable, really. It sure is. Can we learn anything, Harold, from this young man's life? Well, this guy, he left a legacy, I believe, while many haven't heard of him, he's left a legacy of someone over everything, the absolute authority of Christian belief is in the Holy Scriptures. If you can't read it in the Scriptures, it's not to be believed. And while he was opposed to transubstantiation and purgatory, but he believed in Jesus Christ, salvation through him, and this guy really is an example of a true believer in Jesus Christ. A man of courage, a student of the Bible, young man, died for his Lord and will be a witness throughout eternity. Thank you, Harold, for another fabulous... Love it and keep these stories coming. They really are the highlight of our radio program. 
Great, Lloyd. See you again. God bless you, mate. You're listening to the Aussie Pasta here on Faith FM. Good story, Hunty. Mm, mm. Yeah, love that guy. I didn't know a lot about him until Pastor Harold uh, sent some uh, sent some info my way about him. I'm gonna t- I'm, I'm gonna do a bit more study on him. I'm gonna preach on that guy. Thirty years of age. I know. Thirty. Gives. gives air, I mean, this guy did not get a chance to live. Yeah. And he he didn't he didn't try to avoid death. He walked straight into it. And I'll tell you what, that fires me up and encourages me and inspires me when I hear stories about men like that. This next song. Yes. By Charlotte Church Mm -hmm. called The Lord's Prayer. It was recorded when she was just a young girl in her teens. Okay. 1998. Is that when it was recorded? Yeah. So she's 23 years old. She's not very old now. No, she started singing when she was 10. Oh, is this the Kiwi girl? I thought she was from England. Oh, could be too. I think Mm. there's another Kiwi girl who sings Mm. like her. There's a beautiful song, The Prayer. I hope you enjoy it. Beautiful song, honey. Mm, great song. The Lord's Prayer, beautiful prayer too. Mm. My wife Lizzie sings soprano. Your wife Lizzie has an amazing voice. She can sing as good as that. Oh, at least. Is that biased? Oh, <laughs> t- 
to me, she, you're yeah. very blessed, mate. Yeah, I am. Mm. She she can really sing. Mm. So, sometimes when I hear her go up into soprano, oh, yeah, that high because she practices at home. Magnificent. It is. It is. I'm surprised. When she does that, I get goosebumps. Yeah, so Lizzie, Lizzie, is that you? In fact, I found a song that she recorded with you. Yeah, quite some years ago, somewhere. Huh. And she's going to be singing it on Sabbath. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. yeah. So y- y- if you join us on Facebook or YouTube, yep. you'll hear my Liska singing, and she is just beautiful girl to look at. Yes. But just a wonderful singer. Yes. Um, but Sh- Sh- Charlotte Church, mm-hmm. it doesn't come better. I enjoyed that very much. Look, I'm going to share with you, we've got a new segment. Yep. You've called it Story Story Time. <laughs> <laughs> story Time with Uncle Louie. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure about that story time, but but anyway, I, I just wanted to share a story with you, and it's a wonderful story, really, that happened. And you know this story, Hunty. I've told it a few times, so maybe I should get you to help me. Cause oh, no, I, I'm not sure I can remember it. <laughs> that, that will determine whether or not you were listening. Oh, dear. <laughs> Pressure's on. Um, do you remember where I was brought up? As a young fella? Yes, not in Broncos, Queensland Territory. No, you enjoy that, don't I you? I enjoy reminding you that uh, we support those <laughs> those heathens across the border. Ah, gave up on rugby long ago, mate. I'm not into that much Nara. anymore. You were, you, were, you were from the oh, South was, Coast. Okay, I was born in Nara, but I was brought up in New Zealand, Auckland, New Zealand. That's correct. Uh, I'm not a Kiwi, I'm an Aussie. And while I was over there, my cousin, Bruce, who you know. I know Bruce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're good mates. Yep. But we're kids. Maybe I was 10. He would have been 12. And he's an Aussie, but he's got New Zealand relatives. In fact, when you look at my cousin Bruce, did you know that he's a, a, he's a quarter Maori? I did not know that. That's why he's got that nice dark skin. He does skin. have nice brown skin when That's he gets That's why hot he can go and stand in the, uh, sin while you, uh, sk- sk- and in the sun while our skin is m- melting. I get moonburned. Yeah, <laughs> you do. <laughs> well... His mum and dad, while we were living in New Zealand, my dad's a pastor over there, decided to send him over on a holiday. Now, the interesting thing is, just before he comes on that holiday, his uncle, now I'm not sure how the relationship worked, but his uncle who lived in Hamilton trained a horse, and the horse's name was Van der Hum. Now, you're not into horse racing, I know that. Have you ever even been to the horse races? I have, yes. I never have. What did you go for, sound, tech? Uh, no, actually, I got invited on a junket, a big corporate Junket. Okay. To, um, so what was it like? Uh, lots of very wealthy people, very well dressed. Can you, did you get close to the horses or not really? Got close to the horses. I got to, I get to go to the stables and see the jockeys. I got to, oh, okay. I was got very privileged. Those race horses are magnificent. Very aren't they? twitchy though, aren't they? They are. They're, yeah. they're, 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 they're very high strung. Very high strung. In fact, I can see, and it's very sad when you look at the racing industry, how they break down all the time. Really? Yeah, they do. It's very sad. One of those, I mean, a famous race horse just the other day broke a leg and that was the end of him mm. or her or yeah. it. Yeah. Very, very sad. Anyway, his uncle, was training and owned, I think. I think he owned, but he was at least training this horse called Vander Hum. Now, Van, this is 1976, so there you go. I was 12. Wow. Yeah. And Vander Hum in 1976, in the rain, at Melbourne, won the Melbourne Cup. Wow. So this is a very, very famous wow. horse. Famous race. So, yeah, very famous race, and this is a very famous Kiwi horse. In fact, if we've got some listeners out there who watch and listen to horse racing and they're older, they will have heard of Vander Hum. Uh, yep, I have. He was. Have you? Mm-mm. Actually, there are two famous race horses in my past. There's Vanderham, the Kiwi horse, and there's another one called R1. You know why R1 
is close. He won the Melbourne Cup too. Mm. You know why he's close to me? Why is that? Because R1 is narrow back to front. Oh. R1 is a narrow horse, and that's where I was born and brought up for a little bit. So he's a horse that comes from where I come from. So there's R1 and there's Vanderhum. I never met R1, but I did meet Vanderhum. And this is an interesting story. So my cousin comes to New Zealand. He decides to, uh, we decide to go down and meet Vanderhum. This is 19, the Christmas of 1976. So Vanderhum's two, three months out of winning the Melbourne Cup. So we go down to this farm just south of Hamilton somewhere. And we get there. And you know, Hunty, when you get there and you're a kid, and all we want to do, guess what all we want to do, mate? What's that? Go and see Vanderhum. Okay. I mean, I mean, you get to the farm, what do you want to do? You want to go see this famous racehorse. So we asked, uh, Bruce's uncle, hey, uh, can, can we go see Vanderhum? Yeah, sure. He's down in that far paddock. So, Hunty, can you ride horses? No, I've ridden a couple of horses, but no, I'm definitely I'd say I can't ride. I'd love to put you on a horse, but it'd have to be a big one. It'd be a big horse. Yeah, it'd have to be. it have to be one of those big... Uh, I mean, what, strap two together. What do I call those big horses? Clydesdale. it have to be a Clydesdale. Yep. Um, <laughs> strap two together. <laughs> Probably need to strap two together for both of us. <laughs> anyway, we get down there. How much you know about horses? Not much, Not Hunty. much. If no. you want to get a horse across to the fence, what do you do? Offer it the carrot or something or strawberries. Oh, uh, strawberries. I've never heard of a horse. Do horses eat strawberries? I thought that was a, I thought that was a great answer. Never heard of a horse eating strawberries, but I'm sure there's plenty out there listening who are going to correct me. Well, we just picked the grass up because when we got down there, there's two oh, horses. Yeah, grass. There's yep. two horses in this paddock. Yep. There's Vanderham, and then he had what you know, race horses. Because horses are herd animals, they often put the race horse in with a with a with another horse to keep him company. Yes, yeah. So there's this old nag, which is just a scruffy looking thing, and a lot shorter than Vanderham. And then there's Vanderham, and he was, I mean, he's black. Big, huge, muscular, you know what racehorses look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just unbelievable. And so we're all getting grass <laughs> and trying to get him across the fence. And he's flighty, mate. He's just running from one end of the pad. I mean, it, it re- he really was a magnificent horse. Yep. And we finally got him across the fence, bribing him with grass. And, you know, there's four or five of us kids all gathered around Van der Hum, making a big fuss about him. And I look next to Van der Hum and here's this nag. Yep. I'll never forget this part of the story. Standing there by himself with his head drooped, uh, out of condition. You can see this is not much of a horse. And I, I, but I'm a, I, I am an animal lover, true, Hunty? Yes. I love animals. So I thought, oh, I'm going to give him a bit of grass. So I gave him a bit of grass. And, be, you know, we couldn't actually, I couldn't actually get in easily to Vanderhum because everyone's crowded around. So I spent a fair bit of time with the horse. I gave him a pat. I can remember dust coming up off his coat. Which horse? The, 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 the nag. The, the nag. The yeah. nag, yeah. So I'm giving him some grass and everything. And we finished eventually. We spent a fair bit of time down there and we heard mum and dad yelling out went back up to the farm had to go and just as we're walking out the farmer the trainer the owner of Vanderhum says did you see Vanderhum wow man now be careful hunty because this is where I'm going to ask you a question I know the answer (laughs) (laughs) I've remembered the story finally (laughs) did you did we see Vanderhum big black I love telling this story to kids. Yep. Big, black, magnificent horse, full of muscles. He was just incredible. And the farmer looked at us with a very funny look on his face. Mm-hmm. You know what he said? I do. <laughs> that wasn't Vanderhum. Mm. Vanderhum was the horse that we thought was an old nag. Yep. Wasn't an old <laughs> nag at all. He was one of the finest racehorses in the Ever, world. Yeah. He was just on 
holidays after the <laughs> Melbourne Cup. And his coat had got a bit ragged and long and he was a bit scruffy. And I'll never let my brothers to this. Every now and again when we meet, I'll remind them that I was the only one. Yep. Who got to spend any time with them. Because we all begged to go back down again then. And, you know, of course, mum and dad had to go. Of course. And we never got the privilege. I was the only one that ever got to Pat Vander Hum. Now, here's the question. Yeah. And there's a huge spiritual lesson in this. It's yep. a kid's story. Yeah. But I think it's an adult story too. What is the lesson in that story? Don't judge a book by its cover. Bingo. You know what, when it comes to serving God, and you and me, who are not the best-looking boys, what do we say? Our faces, Great faces for radio. We're probably where we belong on radio. I know, it's my, it's my chosen mode. What did someone say you looked like the other day? Oh, I'm not going to repeat that. Uh, Bert, Bert Newton. Newton. Moonface. Yeah, Bert Newton. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Bert Newton's not a bad-looking guy, actually, Hunty. I wouldn't mind his, uh, his, yeah. his life. <laughs> anyway, um... It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't even matter what you think about yourself. You know what? We found out later because we did a lot of, you know, I did a lot of investigation on Van Hum since. You know what made him such a great racehorse and why he run in the rain? Oh, what's that? Why he won in the rain? Why? Because he had a big heart. Yeah, uh, that'll do it. He had a huge heart. Like Farlap. And I think when it comes to serving Christ, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what gifts you've got. If you've given your heart to him, Truly given your heart to Jesus. And I'm talking about truly surrendered. Ask for the Holy Spirit to come into your life to be born again. Then you will run as hard and as fast and as powerfully as Vanderhum ever did. And you won't be running in a, you won't be running in the Melbourne Cup. You'll be running for Jesus Christ. And there's no greater privilege. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Good story, isn't it? Ripper. Yeah, I'll never forget that, meeting that famous racehorse. I suppose he's long dead now because he would have been, if he won in 76, I suppose he was born in 72. Right. Well, how old would that make him? Fifth. Uh, 50. Horses don't live to 50, do they? I think they live to 35. Okay, yeah. Well then maybe 40, but I think he'll be long gone. Mm. Anyway, that's one of my brushes with that's fame. A, that's a ripper. It's a good story, mm. and, and 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 the moral, the lesson out of it is true. It's your heart. That's what matters. Doesn't matter what you look like. Yep. It's your heart. Um, this next song, I bet you, I'm going to get you on this one. You have never seen Cliff Richard in concert. I have not. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> not for one. Would you if you, if you, if we were in London somewhere and he was doing a concert? Would you go? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, I like. He's got a beautiful voice. I think he's a beautiful man. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's a disciple, and he sings this beautiful song that we sing sometimes in church, Shine, Jesus, Shine.
Good song. Yep. We we power that one when we're in church singing too, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do. That's love one of our favourites, actually. Rip. Yep. Yeah. Hey, Hunty, when it comes to church, how long do you reckon it'll be before we're back? Well, I think we've got some big issues to resolve, and I think they're not going to be easy to resolve. But look, the, the government's saying that we can mix vaxxed and unvaxxed as of December 1. So the first church day for us is December 4, but we've got a moral obligation to think about. If we allow vaxxed and unvaxxed in our church and, God forbid, someone should give one of our 70-year-old grandmothers COVID who should dies and eventually dies from it, is that something that the church has to take responsibility for or is that just oh, life? I think we're getting to the day and the hour in Australia where we're going to have to learn to live with this. That's my view. But do, as a church, do we want to be responsible for someone losing a loved one? I, had a, I have a friend in, in England... Adam Ramden, yep. who's a youth director over there, and similar to what Simon does here, and he does it in the north of England. Actually, I think he's just think he's just moved. But he was telling me at their recent summer camps, they have about 100 to 120 kids, at, and they ran three summer camps over the European summer. He was telling me how at these camps, 20... He was sending 20 to 25 kids home every camp. Oh, and I said, what from? He said, from COVID. Wow. I said, well, it did, doesn't that worry? He said, no. And I, and I was a bit bemused about it. He says, I was just learned to live with it. And I think that's where it's – we're, what, six to eight months behind the United States and Britain. Correct. And so I think we're just going to have to get to the to, – to understand and to live with the reality that COVID is with us. I think you told me very early on in this that you think that most of us will come into contact with COVID one way or another mm. before it's finished, and mm. I think that's where we're at. Yep. And so when we open for church, I think that risk is there, and I don't think we can ever mitigate against that. All right, well, I then think December we, 4 could be our date then. Yeah, I think if we if we go to shopping centres, the risk is there already. You yes. go into Bunnings, mate, well, I go into Bunnings, there's people everywhere. I think we're living in a time now, Hunty, where we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We, it's always been dangerous to live on this planet, but we know that it's increasingly dangerous. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, the thing I like is whether I die or whether I live, I do it for Christ and I'm okay. Amen. We have a future. We yes. have hope as Christians, and that is in the return of Jesus, of the resurrection, and of a new life of him for eternity. We always knew it was going to get bad at the end of time. So this is not new. And there's no way I think we can mitigate or, or, or legislate our way out of this. We're just going to have to learn to live with Jesus through these difficult times, and I'm happy to do that. I want to I want to look today at a very sacred subject just for a few minutes, Hunty. I think I've got 14 or 15 minutes. Is that right? Yep. So I have to move pretty quick. Yeah, hey, it doesn't matter, though, because we don't get through it. What do we do? We just 
Bring on to the next program. That's right. Yep. We just move it over. I want to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. I'm going to do a series on this program about the crucifixion Great. of Jesus. So we're going to start Great. to go into it today. But if I were to ask you, uh, have you have you studied a lot the crucifixion through have, the years? I have, yeah. Because it's for me, it's it's the key to it's the key to everything for my salvation. It's what makes Christianity. Christianity it? Yeah, it's everything. Yeah, really. it, it is. Um, I uh, want to start with one of my favourite texts, Hunty. Yep. And I wonder if you can look this up in your Bible. I'll give you a minute. Second Corinthians, chapter five and verse twenty-one. There's a reason this is one of my favourite texts. But you know what else? It's also one of the most challenging texts in all the Bible. Second Corinthians five mm, twenty-one. You okay. want to read that? For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. If I go to the New King James Version, Uh it says, For God made Christ, who never knew sin, to be sin for us. Have you ever stopped and think about what that actually means? I do, and I'm, I'm in awe and I'm humbled. I was thinking about it this morning, actually. You know? What does it actually mean practically? What did you come up with this morning? You want to share that or would you rather? Sure. No, I, look, w- when I think of the tremendous sacrifice that was given to us, undeserving people, unworthy people, really, on God's radar, we're barely a speck, and yet he did that for us, and I was humbled. People often say to me, why did Jesus have to die? Yeah. I've actually done Bible studies with I, people and they'll say to me, well, why did Jesus have to die? Yeah. I'm not asking him to die for me. Yeah. Why did he die? Because this is at the heart of what Christianity is. This is what separates Christianity from Islam, from Buddhism, and from just about every other ism, in other words, every other religion on the planet, is this Jesus Christ and his death. No one else has this. So the question I've got is, why did Jesus have to die? And and and, the, and you kind of get a little, uh, what's the word, glimpse into why he had to die in this text. Want to read it one more time? Sure. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. There it is. So why do you have to die? He's the offering for our sin. It's the offering for your sin, hunty. Is the offering for my sin. Now listen to this. The Bible says very clearly, I know you're going to know this by heart, the wages of mm, sin death. is death. death. Mm. If you sin, then sooner or later you're going to die. Now you and me, I'm 58, you're 57. We know death is coming. Often we feel an urgency for our ministry, right, Hunty? Sure. Because our time is becoming shorter every year. Yep. I mean, what have we got left in ministry, you reckon, if we can get ourselves fit? <laughs> That's a big question. Can <laughs> well, we? Hey, 20, we're, we're trying. 20 years? Yeah, we are. Yeah. Well, 20 years would see me 78. See you 77. Yeah. That'll be starting to stretch Maybe us. Maybe 15. That's not a lot left. No. Because the wages of sin is death. death. And then the Bible further says, for all yes, have sinned sin. and fallen, fallen short. short. Are you a sinner? Totally. Am I a sinner? Yep. Then what are we going to do? We're going to fall short. And we're going to? Die. We're going to die. We are going to die. And that's a very serious thing. Now, my next question, Hunty, and I know you have. Have you ever sat and watched someone die? I have. You have? I have. Okay. My mum. How serious was that for you? How sobering was that for you? Very, very serious and very sobering. Yeah. 
it, it, it sets you back. I've, I've actually, as a pastor, been in to visit many people. Actually, you and I went to visit someone who was yeah. dying. Remember in yeah. Brisbane yeah. that yeah. time? Yeah. 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 How, we baptised him. Yeah. How's, how, on, his, on the day, literally, he died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, how serious was that? Very. Nothing will so, sober you more and pull you up short faster than death, especially if it's your death that could be approaching. You look at people when they get cancer and they've got to face death. Everything changes and everything changes almost instantly. I'll tell you something, Hunty. I reckon Satan gets us on a road yes. here on life where we never think about it. Our, our culture is anti-death, am I right? Yep. Do we have open casket funerals in Australia? Not much, no. unless it's your culture. That's not Aussie culture. No. Why not? We're closed casket. Have you ever seen Aussies try to... Uh, talk to someone who they know is dying, mm. they're uncomfortable, they don't know what to say, because we, and now I'm talking about Australians mm. now, I don't yep. know the other cultures so well. I can talk about my own culture, which I was born in, bred in, lived in all my life. We don't like death. Mm. We try to avoid it. Yep. And yet it's coming for you, Andrew Hunt. Sure is. And it's coming for me. And we don't know which one of us, we, we often talk about because of the, the the nature of our our ministry, we often talk about death. Who will come first? You and I have some some bargains between us <laughs> on what would happen at each other's funeral. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if God's good to us, he'll take us out on the same, same day. day yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but death is a real. It's a real. It's a reality. Mm-hmm. And so what you've got here is, you know that story of Lazarus that you and me like? I liked? love that story. We went there, eh? We did. We Remember how deep. <laughs> we went to Jerusalem? Yep. And and Bethany where this story occurred just like what? A, a kilometre out of Jerusalem, in fact. Yep. Right on the edge of the main Jerusalem city and we went down into the, to the claustrophobic tomb. Mm. But do you remember what Jesus did when he was standing outside and he saw the grief of people for... Lazarus. Yes. What did he do? He made a point to tell them that Lazarus wasn't actually dead. He was just no. Before, before even that. Oh, um, oh yeah. They were they were very upset. They were crying. And what did he do? He comforted their tears, and he cried with them. He did. Mm. He wept. Shortest, shortest text in all That's the Bible. Right. That's right. Jesus, Jesus wept. Wept. Yeah. He wept for you, Hunty, and he wept for me, mm. and he wept for all our listeners because he knows the pain. And the fear and the horror for human beings of death. Yep. Sometimes I look at our world and I look at all the exciting things that are happening in technology and I think, oh, that's great. And then I think, oh, I might not be around for any of that. Mm. And so what Jesus does is here he confronts death. Now I want you to read our next Bible text, Hunty. Sure, Romans 8, verse 3, and I'm going to cough. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so Romans 8 verse 3, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice uh, for our sins. That's it. His son is a what? Sacrifice. That, that, you don't have for to understand. You don't have to understand anything else except what that verse just said in the last line. Mm. Jesus looks at death. He says, "I'm going to confront this." He's weeping at Lazarus' funeral for us, and he says, "I'm going to confront death. I'm going to defeat it for these people I love." 
I'm going to defeat it. And then what does he do? Well, Jesus says, God says, I'm sending Jesus to be what, hunty? A um, sacrifice, sacrifice mm. for our sins. Yep. The wages of sin is what? Death. What do you deserve? Death. What's going to happen to you? If we're without a saviour, we're going to die. And not just die. Die forever. Die eternally. Die eternally. Mm. And so Jesus comes down and he takes your sin, hunty. Yep. He takes mine. <laughs> just stop and think of your life for a moment. <laughs> yeah. 57. I've got 50, a lot to answer for. I think we all do, man. Mm. One of the things I've learned to be as a pastor is merciful to sinners. Yep. Because we are all sinners. We are all going to die. And we need Jesus, who is our sacrifice. And do you know that the entire Old Testament, the entire story of the Old Testament is to tell you and me that Jesus is the sacrifice. He will be, he will pay the death price for your sins. And so when 2 Corinthians 5.21 says Jesus came and became sin for us, all it's saying is Jesus takes our, yep, sin our sins and pays a price for them. And I'm in for that, hunty. Leviticus 6, 24 to 29. Mm. I want you to read this just straight because All this right. is Old Testament and this is just reinforcing what I'm trying to say today. You know, there is no more important message than what I'm sharing with you today, what Jesus did to save us. This is why Jesus has to be. Leviticus 6. This is talking about the sacrificial offering, actually, which pointed to Jesus. Go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons the following instructions regarding the sin offering. The animal given as an offering for sin is a most holy offering. Okay. So this is a sin offering Mm. in the Old Testament. Mm. And the animal given is what? A most most holy offering. Who do you think this animal represents? Jesus. Jesus. This sin offering where they would bring a lamb to the temple and then they would lay their hands upon that lamb and the sins would be taken from the person onto the lamb, all it's doing is pointing forward to Jesus and the gravity of what he's going to do. You imagine if you've got a lamb Mm -hmm. and you've got to take it to the temple Mm -hmm. and you take... You know, the priest puts his head, hand on your head and puts the hand on the lamb and, and transfers the sin symbolically, representing Jesus, then cuts the throat of the lamb. That's going to have an impact on you next time you're thinking about sin. Absolutely. Okay, go on. Mm. Uh, the animal given as an offering for sin is a most holy offering, and it must be slaughtered in the Lord's presence at the place where the burnt offerings are slaughtered. The priest who offers the sacrifice as a sin offering must eat his portion in a sacred place within the courtyard of the tabernacle. That's pretty powerful, actually. Mm. I'm going to ask you a question. Mm. Let's see how theological you are, hunty. Here we go. <laughs> and we haven't, we haven't, have we discussed this, this Bible this study? Some pretty quiet airwaves. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. You're a good thinker. Um, why did the priest eat the lamb? Um, I could only be guessing. I'm, I'm interested in your guess. <sighs> you know, in John chapter 6, Jesus teaches a really hard teaching and he lost a lot of disciples. He said, I am the bread, bread of, life. of life. Oh, here we go. And he says, unless you come and eat Got it. my flesh yep. and drink my oh, blood, yep. there will be no eternity for you. Right. And people listening to that, Often Jesus talks symbolically. We're going to talk more about this next week, why he did that. Mm. And people miss it altogether and they go, 
he's calling himself the bread of life and we've got to eat him and drink his blood. That's weird. And they left him. Yep. But the answer, they should have known the answer because it's here. Yeah. Jesus is the lamb. Our sins, the sins of the people were put upon the lamb and the lamb was sacrificed and then the priest would eat part of the lamb. Does, have you got any got more? Yeah, what, no, what, what are you no, thinking? It, yeah. What are you thinking? What is that? Well, it's symbolic. Of what? Of accepting the sacrifice. Yeah, I reckon it is too. Mm. I think you hit the nail on the head. When you eat something, what does it do? It becomes a part of, of you. You, you yeah. and me know that all too well, don't we, mate? We do. If you eat something, it becomes a part of you. And all Jesus is saying here is, I'm going to come and I'm going to take your sins if you'll give them to me. And I'll take them to the cross and I'll pay the penalty for your sins. Just accept me as your saviour. And if you accept me as your saviour, then you have partaken, eat, Mm. of this sacrifice. Mm. Do you get it? Got it. It's powerful, isn't it? Very powerful. In fact, you know what? I could go through every single Old Testament uh, sacrificial service and in one way or another in different ways they all point to Jesus Christ. So we've got to wind this Bible study up. Yeah, I knew we, we wouldn't get to the end of it, Hunty. <laughs> right. But my question is this for you. Yep. As a sinner then, as we come out of this little Bible study today, if, if the Holy Spirit convicts you that you are a sinner, I'm convicted of it. Me too. What should you do? You need to avail yourself of the sacrifice. How do you do that you practically? You accept the fact that Jesus is real and that he gave his life for you. Practically, me. what do you do, though? What Jump do you... on your knees, talk to the uh, Lord. Lord, here I am. Mm. And I am a doggone singer, sinner, mm. singer, sinner, sinner. And I need you as my saviour. Yep. And I'm going to give you my sins. I'm going to let you take them to the cross. I will eat of that sacrifice. I will accept it. I'll let it become a part of me and I will let you save me. It's a beautiful, beautiful message. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. I'm only human. I'm just a woman.
the mountain. Well, Jesus, you know, if you're looking below, it's worse now than then. chose that song, Hunty? Why's that? Because this walk with Jesus is one day at a time. Yep. Every day I come to him. Every day I give him my heart. Yep. And every day I ask him to be my saviour. It is one day at a time. Love it. And as you do this, and I'm going to pray this prayer in a second, as you do this, as you pray this prayer of repentance and you ask Jesus to be your saviour and the Holy Spirit comes into you, everything changes. This is not fake. This is as real as it gets. And this is these next few Bible studies over the next few weeks are why, I, why you and I have no fear of death. Now, now, if you wanted to do more Bible study mm-hmm. on this, Hunter, you can. Yep, Where certainly. would you go? Uh, send us an email, info at com, and in the subject, put Offer 301, one word, Offer 301, and email it to info at aussiepastor, and we will send you some links to a great Bible study which will take you further and deeper into info this. Info at aussiepastor.com. That's the one. I better get that. Yeah. Let's pray. Dear God, that you send Jesus, our Saviour and our God, is the most amazing thing. We recognise we are sinners. We are so desperately in need of a saviour. So we commit to you today. Come into our lives. We accept your gift. In Jesus' name, amen. My name's Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie Parson. I love you. Jesus, your saviour. He loves you a whole lot more. See you next time. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv. 